You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 13. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Your Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so today we're going to continue our discussion of weight loss hormones. Uh, in episode 11, we talked about insulin glucagon. Episode 12, we talked about cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine. And today we're going to talk about leptin, relin, and adiponectin. But before we jump right into that, we do have kind of a cute little story to tell you. Yeah. Uh, and you found this just kind of, uh, you know, out of the blue, yeah, which was, which is really cool. So a little bit of backstory. So I used to work at a clinic in Santa Monica. It was right there, Wilshire Boulevard, right down from the beach. Fantastic. It was great. And that uh, clinic catered to, uh, Hollywood, uh, catered to the movie studios. It catered to people on and off camera. It was really exciting. Me, you know, small town Wisconsin kid, you know, working with people from Hollywood was a little bit awe inspiring at first. Long story short, I worked with some of the executives from both Disney and Pixar. So since then, I left there like in 2010. Uh, so it's been a while, in 2009, I think. Uh, so it's been a while, but every so often, um, one of the executives for both Pixar and Disney, Disney Animation Studios specifically, will um, reach out to me. Um, one of his staff members will reach out and ask if, we, if I want to consult on one of their movie projects. Uh, now, we're talking about nutrition, we're talking about weight loss, we're talking about hormones, we're talking about all these different, you know, health related things. How does that how does that play into a animation movie? Uh, well, when they're doing their movie projects, they do all this research and they bring all these experts in, you know, they bring in architects, they bring in engineers, they bring in doctors, they bring in nutrition people, and it just so uh, happens that because I had this relationship with one of the the main guys, uh, he always considers if you need someone for nutritional advice or nutritional information, you know, give Dr. Mackey a call. Uh, so back in, I think this was 2010, wasn't it? Uh, January of 2010 or was it January 2011? No, 11. Yeah. Okay. It might have even been 12. Uh, I think it was 11. Anyways, you and I are on our way up to San Francisco and we are passing through Burbank. When all this was scheduled, we kind of used that as our excuse, you know, to take a trip, take a road trip. And we, you know, we got to go to Disney uh, and they were planning a movie. And, you know, of course, they give us that they have these small, you know, not small rooms, but these rooms with the storyboards kind of all on the four walls of the room. So you go around and each wall is the beginning, the middle, the, you know, the, you know, whatever the end. And they kind of tell you the story, what they're going through. And of course, uh, that's where we come in because this one, this one particular movie was, you know, uh, I'll let you tell from there. That gives you a little bit of background. And so how did you discover this? Oh, it was so much fun. I know that they, they used, like you mentioned, they wanted to talk to about nutrition, but even with all those, the depth that goes into creating these storylines, they were more concerned with the hormones. Like I remember we were talking about neurohormones with them and trying to, and their whole idea was to project this storyline. So of course, you know, Disney movies are out there in a way that might possibly be like, you know, 
fall in line with reality or whatnot. Like they even had um, designers that knew exactly how to construct like different cities. They had they had a biologist in there. They had a um, a criminal. Uh, they actually had police officers in there because it was that it was the movie Z- Zootopia. It ended up being Zootopia. That wasn't the name at the time that they were talking about, but they had all these different people in here to basically construct the storyline so that it seemed a little bit realistic. It was really, it was really cool. Yeah. So uh, one night you were uh, flipping through uh, your favorite thing in the world, Netflix, uh, and you came across the Zootopia, as you told me, and you just read the storyline. You're like, you know what? That sounds vaguely familiar. Uh, And then what'd you do from there? I watched the movie because it's really, really cute. And I love, I like movies like that. (laughs) <laughs> right. And then if you go down to one hour and 47 minutes, you'll see our names. Yeah. So uh, we have, uh, and, it was, you know, they didn't actually let us know or call us and tell us or anything like that. It was just because the name had been changed. We didn't realize that it was the same movie. And it was, you know, like I said, we were there in 2010 and it wasn't released until 2016. So you can see how long it takes for them to actually produce a movie. And we've done it, you know, we've done it a few other times since then. But yeah, if you go to one hour and 47 minutes, you'll see Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson uh, on the movie credits. So I don't know if we'll win uh, any kind of a you know uh, an award for that or any, what, what is the what is the awards for movies uh, i have no idea but i, I golden it was globes just, or something it was just fun to see you know a little recognition so that's our cute little story yeah totally yeah i, I mean you know the fact that we're you know uh, we're not actors we don't really have a role really in the movie industry but you know in this particular context when they're doing their movie projects uh, you know they've called us several times so um that was you know something we thought we'd share we uh, didn't talk about on a few other earlier episodes but um nonetheless one hour 47 minutes you go there and our names will be there so it's uh it's really really kind of a cool thing no yeah definitely so back to our um weight loss metabolic hormones so let's talk about leptin yeah so there's a lot of discussion these days about leptin uh People hear about leptin resistance, or people, you know, read books or articles about leptin resistance, uh, and we'll get into that in a second. But you know, really, what is leptin? First, it was discovered in 1994 as potentially this, you know, obesity hormone. Um, but in reality, leptin it plays a role in, uh, I would say, weight regulation and appetite. But it's not really, it's not really an obesity hormone. No, leptin is released by your fat cells, your adipose tissue. So if you have a lot of fat cells, as in being a little bit overweight, then you have a lot of leptin. And that increase in leptin sends a signal to your brain, which then tells your body that you're satiated, that you're not hungry. And then if you have very little fat stores, then there's actually an a decrease in leptin. Did I say that right? So if you have a lot of fat cells, you have a lot of leptin that turns off your appetite. If you have a very low amount of fat cells that has a low level of, of leptin, so the brain senses that, and then that tells you that you're hungry. So leptin's a great, as you know, in, in some ways considered a thermostat at keeping, and it's, I guess its goal is to keep your weight at a good body weight, where um, in a perfect world, you know, that thermostat stays nice and regulated, but we don't always live in a perfect world, especially in our society and the food options that we have available and the stress that we have to deal with on a daily basis, that that leptin sort of signaling system can go awry. Yeah, I, I think uh, as we were t- you know, doing our planning before the episode, I think that's exactly you know, because of that thermostat, that thermostat keeps getting pushed up over time. Now we'll get into a, an example here in a minute, but you know, when someone's in high school, they weigh a certain weight. By the time they're by their 20 year reunion, they weigh, you know, 
on average, about 25 pounds more than that. Um, why does that happen? Why do people consistently just keep gaining weight on an annual basis? Some people gain weight really rapidly. Uh, you know, that's of course has its own mechanism, but this gradual increase to weight over time, um, leptin isn't necessarily causing it, but leptin certainly plays a role in perpetuating it. Yeah. So, so there's lots of people that are, you know, when we have patients all the time that might be about 40 pounds overweight. So you would think that, you know, having that excess fat storage, that their that increased leptin would make them not hungry so that they could lose the 40 pounds. But it's actually quite the opposite. People that I have that have that extra weight on there will tell me, you know, I ate dinner, I ate or I was really good all day. I tried to be really good. And then I ate dinner. And then all of a sudden, my cravings went crazy. But I'm not but I'm not hungry. But I want to eat. Right. That's the increase. That's the leptin issue. That's yeah, the it, leptin, what they call resistance, right? Right. Yeah. Now, for a long time, there's this, been this stigma looking at people that are overweight as they're just gluttony. They just eat too much. They have no willpower. They have no discipline. Um, but it's not. And, you know, this is where the paradigm shift kind of needs to happen. Uh, you know, you don't become obese or gain a lot of weight because you overeat. Um, the obesity makes you overeat. Right. So it's the like it's, you know, it's the chicken before the egg or the cart before the you know horse. Uh, you know, the obesity creates all the problems as time goes on. And, and the hormones that we've been talking about on this episode and the last ones, they just keep further and further out of balance. And it's almost like a feed forward system. You just keep going, going in that same direction, which then creates more and more problems. As we've always said, biology will always win. Willpower won't. So people can say, I'm going to try to, you know, eat healthy, but if their metabolic hormones are off or imbalanced, that willpower won't end up, biology will always win. So just like you said, you know, people are always looking at, you know, people that might be overweight or be obese and say, oh, you know, well, you got yourself in that bed. Now you got to lie in it. That's not the truth because when those metabolic hormones are out of balance and it can be from, you know, from menopause, from andropause, it can be from stress, it can be from life, it can be from traumas, it can be from all the other, you know, metabolic hormones we've talked previously to this episode, but you know, it makes you hungry. So our whole goal is not to, you know, we don't want to do diets. Diets aren't going to work, but how can we balance our metabolic hormones so that our appetite is satiated so we can create a healthy lifestyle for ourselves, create a good, healthy baseline weight and and maintain the weight that we want. And like you said a few minutes ago, actually lowering that thermostat, right? Bringing that thermostat down to where it should be, not with an extra, you know, 40 to 50 pounds on it or an extra 150 pounds, depending on the person. Okay. So now um, this is a little bit of a different example, but it just happened recently. uh, And as we were planning for this, it made me, you know, um, use that as an as a way to illustrate what we're talking about. So that patient come in last week, of course, wants to lose some weight. It's January, February, beginning of the year. And she didn't really make any dietary change, except she was on a lower calorie diet in the first place, uh, the proverbial 1,200 calories a day, uh, which if you put 100 ro- women in a room and you ask them how many calories are you supposed to eat to lose weight, they'll tell you 1,200 calories. I'm not really sure where that number came from, um, but it was some marketing campaign along the way that that's the magic number. Okay, So what does she do? She lowers her calories. Uh, she exercises like five or six days a week. And she says both, you know, her and her daughter were exercising as a way to, you know, accomplish what they want to do, you know, lose the weight around the middle. They both noticed around the exact same time, it was about two weeks into that process, maybe two and a half, that their appetite just went through the roof. 
right? They're having this major surge in cravings, craving slash appetite, and of course, not for the things that they would want to eat, for all the things that they've been avoiding up until that point. You know, the, the potato chips, the cookies, the crackers, the, you know, all the pleasure food um, that makes this entire mechanism that is in our body and our brain, it all makes it go haywire in the first place. So, and with that said, that's where, when you're talking about leptin, is that's where you come in with the ghrelin because ghrelin is a hormone that comes from your stomach. So when your stomach is full, you have very low levels of ghrelin. When your stomach is empty, you have very high levels of ghrelin. So in the case of your patient and her daughter, they're reducing their calories. So that means that they're, you know, they're not eating. So then their stomach is empty. They have these high levels of ghrelin. And what does ghrelin do is when ghrelin's high, it makes us hungry. That ghrelin is a signal from the stomach to the brain to say, feed me or don't feed me. So it's, you know, it's kind of counterpart a little bit or runs in tandem with the leptin. So already somebody has some weight on them. They're leptin and they're leptin resistant. So they're already hungry because that we had talked about that threshold, that threshold is off. So they're already hungry. They reduce their calories. They reduce their food. Their ghrelin goes up and then they're starving. Yeah, right. And we talked about that on one of the uh, uh, earlier episodes. I think it was episode seven. We were talking about amino acid therapy for appetite suppression uh, and uh, the 600 pound life episode that I had watched. Uh, And you have these people on there that are, you know, they're very big, right? They're 600 pounds, 700 pounds. Every one of them is completely insulin or excuse me, leptin. They're insulin resistant, but they're also majorly leptin resistant because they can't shut that little switch off in their brain. They just keep, they just want to eat and eat and eat because their brain has been literally uh, exposed to way too much. Now it doesn't shut their appetite off anymore. Yeah, so when you have that already, that leptin is off or that leptin resistance, and then you compound it with a diet, that's why people cannot stay on a diet for that long. So they reduce their calories or their leptin, you know, they're, they're hungry because they got that leptin resistant. That ghrelin makes their appetite go up even higher. So that's why, mo- as most of us know, that we can't, you know, most people cannot maintain a diet. Once they hit about week three, they're hungry. And then that's why people end up eating and then they have the ga- the weight gain that comes back. Because when you try to reduce your calories, you do change up the other metabolic hormones that we talked about previously. And then when you do eat, then you really store the fat. Yeah, right. So by, you know, and this is, you know, this is not a new concept, right? We're just kind of reiterating it and kind of uh, not proving a point, but we're trying to get a point across that going on a diet on a calorie restricted diet, which most programs out there end up being that uh, you are basically priming your body for fat storage. You lose the weight initially because your calories go down. You'll lose it in the first three to six months, but because of that compensatory mechanism that your body goes through, partially related to leptin, partially relin, partially a few other things, you are basically telling your body that when the calories do come back, when your appetite gets to that point and you end up eating more food, which eventually you will, your body's going to store all that extra energy because one, your metabolism goes down, your basal metabolic rate actually decreases in a lower calorie state. Uh, So then you you know, let's say you're at that proverbial 1200 calorie mark, you bring it up to 1500 or 1700, all that extra energy that you're consuming beyond the 1200 is going to be stored as energy. And because your metabolic hormones have been disrupted, let's say you did gain the weight back and then you're like, you know what? I want to go back to losing the weight where I was before. So you go back down to 1200 calories. What most people notice is that weight that they gained don't does not come off. It's almost like they'll tell me, I, I reduced my calories. I'm exercising more. I'm on my fitness pal app and it says that I'm negative 300 calories every day, but my weight on the scale hasn't changed. And that's because they, 
you know, you just can't get back there because those metabolic hormones are already disrupted. Now, of course, we are getting to a point on how we can balance those, but we've got to give you the backstory, right? Right, right. Uh, now, I think like what you just said, too, by going on that proverbial diet, that's where that thermostat keeps going up and up and up because of that compensatory response to the drop in calories. Uh, so, the you know, really the, the bigger point there is that weight loss or obesity for that matter is still, it is not a calorie problem. It is not a calorie problem. It is a hormonal problem. That's why we've gone through three episodes so far trying to illustrate how these all these hormones are connected. Now, we don't know exactly all the details, right? We know how to connect the dots a little bit, uh, and we know that insulin and cortisol play a big role in the storage of the fat. Really, what we're trying to do and what we're going to segue into the next episode, we're going to segue a little bit more into how do we actually lose the fat, right? Because that's the part that nobody knows how to do effectively, um, both in the short term and over the long term. How do you lose the weight, but then more importantly, keep it off, you know, hopefully forever? Oh, yeah. Main, maintaining it. Like I mentioned, you know, I do have those patients that, you know, once they, they do try to go on a diet, they don't notice they've lost anything until they re- and then they actually have to reduce below 1200 calories. I mean, like the HCG diet, people are on 500 calories. That is like even like starvation to the nth degree. It's it's outrageous. So that's where we want to try to balance things to balance those hormones so that you don't gain the weight back. And one of the other hormones that we wanted to talk about in this episode is, well, it's not really a hormone. It's actually a protein called adiponectin. So adiponectin is, adiponectin isn't a hunger hormone. It doesn't make you hungry or satiate you. It actually has to do with breaking down our beta oxidation, which is fat breakdown. So, so when somebody has high levels of adiponectin, that turns on beta oxidation. So it actually keeps their metabolism running at a higher rate. People with higher adiponectin tend to be thinner individuals. Yeah, right. So yeah, exactly. If you see someone that's, you know, uh, thin and lean, they're going to have, you know, uh, very high, high levels. Someone that is a little bit overweight or insulin resistant or leptin resistant, right? That gentleman that I talked about from, you know, 600 pound life, he's going to have a very low level of adiponectin. Even somebody with an extra 50 pounds on them is going to have a low level of adiponectin because that's when that's why people say you know I'm doing all this work but I'm not seeing any results and that's because of that adiponectin yeah as, right as long as the other hormones are also. Yeah, yeah. I've done some testing of leptin and adiponectin. Unfortunately, when you when you test someone's adiponectin and there's a disclaimer on the lab and say this is for research purposes only, basically saying that insurance companies won't pay for it. Uh, so there are uh, certain labs you can do that will give you an idea of what's going on, establish a baseline, tell you how severe the problem is, but the conventional system won't necessarily pay, uh, pay for it. And of course, we can test leptin. I mean, I have... You know, clearly, actually, not long ago, a patient of mine, you know, he's concerned about his weight is, you know, came in, you know, stopped me in the hallway and said, how, what do I do about my leptin? And I kind of was at like, like stunned, like I didn't know, no words would come out because I have so many words to say about it. It's not like, well, take this supplement or take this or do this. There's so many things, but really what it comes down to is don't, I mean, you can test the, the diponectin, you can test the leptin. It's good to see. People need to see sometimes that visual objective data. But the main thing really to test is the insulin because insulin is that big elephant that all those hormones are dancing around. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's some now, you know, there's leptin diets, leptin resistant diets, there's even leptin supplements that are on the market. 
I don't think that uh, it makes any sense to try to have a direct impact on leptin. Leptin, as you just said, is a kind of a down the stream hormone that is being manipulated by other things, you know, both dietary practices and other hormones related to the diet. Um, so you can't do anything really to have a, a direct impact on leptin. Um, uh, for that matter, you can't do anything to have a direct impact on adiponectin. You can sort of have an impact on relin just by if you're hungry or not, you eat something, you can have an impact that way. Um, but like you said, the insulin and the cortisol, that's the approach that we have to take in order to uh, improve the downstream process. Yes. Yeah, so, so the insulin, I didn't mention cortisol, but we did talk about cortisol in the previous episodes. But yeah, that insulin and the cortisol, those are the big dancing elephants. So if you can manipulate those, which, you know, we definitely want to get into and explain how to do that so that we have the tools to be able to do that, then all those, like you mentioned, the downstream hormones start to balance themselves out. And then you see a process. Now, granted, in this process, you don't want to lose 20 pounds in two weeks. That's not a good process. What we want to do is slowly reduce reduce down that threshold or where your body thinks its baseline normal healthy weight should be and then maintain it. Yeah, right. And that comes back to the brain, right? All, everything we're talking about is being regulated by the hypothalamus. Leptin's having an impact on the hypothalamus. Adiponectin's having an impact on the hypothalamus. Insulin, cortisol have an impact on the hypothalamus. And that is where the majority of the quote-unquote damage, right, in obesity for, for the most part and just weight regulation anyways, that's the, as they call it, the master gland of your endocrine system. The hypothalamus is controlling everything. So now on a side note, you know, I've been talking about, oh, the person, the 600 pound me or the the um, person with 40 or 50 extra pounds. This also does relate to those people that might have maybe, you know, 10 or 12 pounds that they're concerned about. So if you have weight that's more like in the middle, so not necessarily distributed all over, like in your bust or arm or bums, but if you feel like, you know what, this weight that's popping up and maybe kind of like what they call the love handles or the, or your belly when the people- muffin top. Yeah, I guess that's another way of saying spare tire. Yeah. Yeah, for men, it's a for men, it's a spare tire, and for women, it's the muffin top. A, muff, a muffin top, yes. So they, muffin top, or or I have patients that tell me I have never had a belly like this before. And granted, it's only if you know maybe five pounds on their belly, but that's a lot that they've never had before. If you've noticed you've got weight in the abdomen in the belly, then that is insulin and cortisol imbalance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and women typically, as you know, we've discussed earlier, women typically do not distribute fat on their abdomen. Men do. Men, that's probably the only place men put it for the most part. But women, usually it's the hips and thighs, right? Because that's, you know, genetically or gender specific, you know, weight distribute or uh, body fat distribution. Um, but like you said, and it always happens around a particular age, right? As time goes on, they're getting past the age of 35 into their 40s, entering in perimenopause, that's when all those things start to exacerbate because one, they have a very stressful lifestyle. They're not sleeping very well. Uh, they're probably exercising more than they probably should, at least in some cases, not a, not across the board. Uh, so the things they're doing lifestyle-wise to correct the problem in some ways is actually just making the problem worse. Yeah, even though you people say, oh, I want to, you know, exercise is good for us. And I'll be the first to say, you know, we need to exercise as humans. We're a little bit too sedentary. But a lot of times I'll have patients that tell me, I'll say, well, you know, how, how often are you exercising? And they're going to spin class six days a week. Yeah, right. Yeah. And they're over the age of 40, right? Perfect. And they're not eating. Yeah. And that's that's the thing. That's the thing to take home from this, this episode specifically is you cannot, and just another reiteration of that, you cannot reduce your calories and expend more energy to – 
achieve what you want to achieve. That is only going to make that situation worse. But it's a very fine line between, you know, how do we how do we tweak that a little bit, just a little bit? How do we tweak it uh, to create a lifestyle, like you say, not a temporary diet. You're going to do something for a while and then go back to your normal lifestyle. You can't really do that. This, As time goes on and, and the age and the, the number of years increase, um, your diligence needs to be that much more specific. Otherwise, it just, you know, it just completely goes out of control. So with that said, you know, we do talk a lot about insulin and cortisol. But as we had mentioned in the last couple of episodes um, about an insulin group, you had talked about the insulin group. Yeah, yeah. You hear a lot about it from us and other podcasts and blog posts, whatever else. But we thought it would just make sense to actually do some testing. And granted, insulin is gaining a lot more popularity. A lot of doctors are doing fasting insulins. Not every doctor like they should. Um, There's some things that they do that they will run. They'll look at a hemoglobin A1C that it's kind of like the new, you know, fancy test these days, but that doesn't tell the full story. It doesn't give you the objective information that you really need. And from a diabetes perspective, you could really prevent someone literally from having diabetes years, if not even decades before they actually were diagnosed by looking at some of these things. So what we're going to do, uh, we've uh, mentioned it on the other couple of episodes, we're putting together an insulin testing group for anyone that wants to participate. Now, not everyone. We're looking for 25 people to start. Um, that want to go through this process. Uh, so the way it'll work is, so if you go to progressionhealth.com backslash IT as an insulin test, you go there, there'll be a landing page for you to you know enter your information. You're going to purchase the test. The test is going to cost $249. My, our assistant, Erica, uh, will send you a lab rec. You'll take it to the lab. Uh, just to warn you, if you want to be involved in the group, you're going to be at the lab for about four hours. Uh, you go there fasting, they draw your blood, and they're going to give you this sugary stuff, which is not great, and it's not very pleasant. It's 100 grams of straight glucose, which could make you feel a little bit funny. You might feel hypoglycemic. You might feel nauseous. You could really feel terrible. If you do feel that way, it confirms that that's a positive test in a negative way. Once you get the results back, it's going to take a couple of weeks for everyone to get their results back, and then we're going to do probably one to two training sessions, but more likely it's going to be two to get through 25 people where we're going to actually go through, maybe not individually, but as a group, we're going to go through what each of those tests means. And, you know, as if anything, establish a baseline for everyone to see kind of where you are. Is this a low level of risk, a moderate level of risk, or a high level of risk based on what those numbers show? So what was that website again? So you can go to the uh, URL is progressurehealth.com backslash IT as an insulin test. And then just as kind of a prelude of our next podcast, we're also going to talk about ways to, because, you know, we talked about lifestyle, 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 which is important, but we're going to actually talk about how to kind of, I don't want to say accelerate because it's not an acceleration, but a way that we can work on that insulin and then the, um, you try to reduce that insulin to try to get that, that the weight moving. Yeah, right. You know, I, you know, you and I both, we talk, people talk to us all the time and, you know, everyone is struggling with the same issue. They're trying to live their life. They're trying to pay the bills and take care of the kids and go to work and do all these things. And they're trying to lose weight at the same time. And a lot of people are struggling with that whole process because American lifestyle is set up to do just the opposite of that, right? That's why we have a, an, the average American, you know, 70 plus percent of the population is overweight uh, because everything that is the way our lifestyles are 
are set up is basically just a, is the fast track to fat storage. Uh, not to mention you throw in a highly paddleable, uh, very processed food um, environment. We'll power all those things. Like you said, biology wins over every time. And our brains are hardwired for high, highly dense, highly calorie, high calorie foods. Um, you know, at any given chance, we're going to make those ch- decisions all the time. So, um, the next one's going to, we're going to start to kind of unwind a little bit. We've given you some of the background information of what the problem is and in some ways kind of what not to do. Now we're going to talk about what we can do. Yeah. Which, what we can do, which is not just, taking supplements or medications. We don't, we're not going to do anything like that, but what can we do dietary wise to reduce down that insulin and reduce down the cortisol while at the same time, by doing that, we're reducing that baseline threshold of what your body thinks it's good. You know, it's body weight should be. Cause I have so many patients that are like 210 pounds and they can't get under 200 because their body's baseline says my body's baseline is 210 pounds, you know, 222 pounds, 170. I have a lot of 170 patients that I've been working with over the past few years to get them back down to their 140. Yeah, it's uh, it definitely is a challenge and life in general in the United States does not make it any easier. And, and as the time goes on, as we get older and older, it makes it even harder because those metabolic hormones, when the female hormones or the male hormones are gone, uh, it makes these metabolic hormones, it makes us more responsive and more receptive to them in a kind of a negative fashion. Yep. So I guess we can say stay tuned for the next episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I think that we've uh, kind of gave an overview. I think that we've uh, at least hopefully tried to illustrate the point that we wanted to, that leptin is important to understand, but it doesn't play necessarily the critical role that the insulin and cortisol does, but it's certainly part of the conversation. And it's also part of the conversation of how people approach the situation, reducing their calories and exercising too much. That's that's kind of the, you know, that's the, the strategy that you don't want to take. So until next time, uh, I'm Dr. Rob. And I'm Dr. Davidson. All right. uh, Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.